We're starting a new series today. It'll be short, just four sermons. It's kind of a really, really super quick kind of survey of one of the whole major themes of the Bible. But we're going to start in the beginning today in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, where will be the series is called Between the Trees. And so you're going to see that through God's plan of how the world was going to go and how, well, how he hoped it was going to go in Genesis 1 and 2, and then how it went in Genesis 3, which we'll look at next week, and then how he redeemed it and brought it back. There's there's some trees that play a huge role in it. So as we're going through the series, here we, we talk about a tree. You probably should kind of note that because it's going to come up later again. And today it's kind of, um, there's a lot in Genesis chapter 1 and being a chapter 2. We're going to skim over some of the big details, so don't get your feelings too hurt because we're trying to do something bigger here with the, with the series. So we're not going to tackle every, every single detail of of the passages. There's a lot, a lot here. So we've begun Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, right, God's creating, and his, his spoken word is so powerful that it brings things into existence. And, and he's doing that, right? He's going through day 1 and day 2 and day 3 and day 4 and day 5, and then we pick the story up on day 6 where he gets to his, his most important creations. And so we're going to jump in in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God creates mankind. Specifically here, we're going to get into specifics in chapter 2, right? Genesis 1 is kind of the broad, broad brush approach, and Genesis 2 gets into the more finer detail of, of how he creates Adam and Eve, of first, first humans. But God says, we're going to make them in, in our image. And there's no other creature that God makes that's made in the image of God, right? Only us as people are. That's why he puts us the top priority. He says we're, in our job then that God gave us is to rule over this earth and to subdue it, to, to create some order out of it, which is what he does, right? God created order, Genesis 1, out of chaos. There's nothingness. There's nothing, nothing is chaos. And he creates and orders it and puts, puts the finer details into it. Now, there's a specific part I want to talk about a little bit because I think it's been really talked about a lot amongst uh, just mainstream media and politicians, and I don't know why I got politicians, but verse 27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Now, I'm not sure when gender became a political issue, but all of a sudden it has. And the scripture tells us that God created two genders, and they are male and they are female. And I know that that has, for some reason, become fluid and gray. But the scripture isn't fluid and gray in it. That there's, there's, there's male and there's female. And I know that that gets contentious and can be contentious and it creates great tension. It doesn't, doesn't have to. So I thought, well, there's nothing better to break tension than a really funny video. So Johnny's going to get a little video ready for you. It's from... A pastor named Mark Gungor, if you've ever seen any of his stuff, he's, he's rather, um, he's super entertaining. 
And this is from a, a marriage seminar called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And we'll actually do this as a Sunday school class. Stacy and I will host it at some point here. So this is kind of a teaser for you of, uh, of what it's about. And he talks about the difference between, between men and women. So Johnny, go ahead and play that if you would. We're going to start discussing men's brains, women's brains, and how they're very different from each other. Now, I want to start with men's brains. All right. Now, men's brains are, are very unique. Men's brains are made up of little boxes. And we have a box for everything. We've got a box for the car. We've got a box for the money. We've got a box for the job. We've got a box for you. We've got a box for the kids. We've got a box for your mother somewhere in the basement. We got, we got, we, we got boxes everywhere. And, and the rule is, the boxes don't touch. When a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we pull that box out, we open the box, we discuss only what is in that box. All right? And, and, and then we close the box and put it away being very, very careful not to touch any other boxes. Sorry, my Catholic upbringing got in there for a minute, but I... <laughs> I'm not a Catholic, but I went to Catholic school when I was little. I, I had a nun who taught on hell like she was born and raised there. I mean, I'll never forget it, but... Uh... <laughs> it did me good, actually. It was a good thing. Now, women's brains are very, very different from men's brains. Women's brains are made up of a big ball of wire. And everything is connected to everything. And the money's connected to the car, and the car's connected to your job, and your kids are connected to your mother, and everything's connected to everything. And it was like... It's like the internet superhighway. Okay? And, and it's all driven by energy that we call emotion. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons why women tend to remember everything. Because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, it burns in your memory and you can remember it forever. The same thing happens for men. It just doesn't happen very often because, quite frankly, we don't care. All right. Women tend to care about everything. And she just loves it. Okay.
Now, men, we have a box in our brain that most women are not aware of. This particular box has nothing in it. It's true. It's true. In fact, we call it the nothing box. And of all the boxes a man has in his brain, the nothing box is our favorite box. <laughs> if a man has a chance, he'll go to his nothing box every time. That's why a man can do something seemingly completely brain dead for hours on end. You know, like fishing. why a guy can sit in front of a TV and go. Uh, it glows. Uh. Of course, this drives our wives nuts because they'll come up and say, stop that! You can't be watching anything! I'm not. The University of Pennsylvania a couple of years ago did a study and discovered that men have the ability to think about absolutely nothing and still breathe. <laughs> you know, they connected all the wires and stuff like that and watched their brain activity and then all of a sudden... <laughs> I think he's dead! Huh? Yeah. Women can't do it. They can't do it. Their minds never stop. And, and they don't understand the nothing box. And it drives them crazy. Because nothing drives a woman more crazy or makes her feel more irritated than to witness a man doing nothing. Thank you. Hey, there you go. I showed you that video one because it's amusing and it's funny and also it's true. Um, but we're different, right? And God created us differently. And for us to succeed in marriage, we have to understand that. And we try to get with the other person and, 
And Stacy and I had that conversation about when she asked me what I was thinking or what I was feeling, and I said nothing, and she didn't believe me, right? And it's like, I'm not feeling anything. I don't have to feel all the time. And, and she does, and so it wasn't, didn't make sense. But the point of it, and the reason I showed it to you, is because God created us differently. He did. And then, now, we can overgeneralize it sometimes, right? And he talks about that in, in that, that some of those are generalizations. But, but he created us different. And he did that for a reason, for us to succeed and to partner together, we have to be different. Uh, if we were the same and our strengths were the same and our weaknesses were the same, we wouldn't complement each other. And the point of marriage is to complement one each other, right? Is where, where you're strong. Maybe she's weak, and, and where, where you're weak, she's strong. And, and that's the point. And so God creates us, male and female, because he, in his infinite wisdom, knows that this will be best. doesn't mean one's better than the other, right? We have a strength here, and, and she has a strength in a different area. And that's, that's the reason that we've come together, is to come together as one. And so God, at the beginning, creates mankind, male and female, for that purpose. And we're going to get to that purpose in chapter 2 of what, what's the purpose. And part of it is, in, in verse 28, is to be fruitful and, and multiply or to increase in number, right? Uh, it's the, if you ever watched that movie, and because I'm married, I've had to watch this movie, The Big Fat Greek Wedding, right, where the husband's... Husband says, get married, make babies, right? That's what the, the dad says to his daughter. That's, that's verse 28, right? Uh, get married and make babies. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over it. He says, I want you to order it. I want you to rule it. I want you to take care of it, right? And part of that is taking care of it. It's a lot in, in chapter 2, this first, or excuse me, into chapter 1. We're not going to hit all those details, so we'll keep moving. Verse 29 it says, and God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. God finishes creation with us, with people, but he tells us, hey guys, I want you to, to be in charge of all this. I want you to tend it. I want you to care for it. I want you to, to make sure things go well in it. And it's important that we do our best to, to do that. And notice that it begins with God saying, I give this to you. Remember, it's his creation, not ours. And if you've ever, been, if you've ever created anything, and I don't care what it is, it, it can be um, you, you gave a, a talk, you sang a song like Emma did earlier, you, you make things out of wood, you do things with your hands, whatever you've done, and you've created something, and you took it, and it was, it was nothing, and then you made it something, and you give it to something that means something, doesn't it? When you've created something with your own hands, it, it, it just, there's something about it, right? The reason that we don't throw our Ikea furniture away is because we actually put it together, right? Half of it's junk, but we put it together so it means something to us, Right? And that's what God does, but instead of, instead of clinging to it and holding on to it, what does he do with all of his creation in Genesis chapter 1? He gives it away. Now you, if you've had a chance to ever stand at the edge of the ocean with your feet in the sand, and there's no better feeling, right, than your feet in the sand, and you watch those waves come in one after another, and you look out and all you can see is water, right? And you stand in awe of, and, you, and you have that realization that I'm not that big. I'm kind of little in all this thing. Or you stand at the foot of a mountain, same thing, right? And all the trees and the, and the birds and the smell. And, the, and you stand there and you go, whoa. 
I'm not nearly as big as I thought I was. And God created all that, all that beauty and all that majesty, and he handed it over to us. And it takes a lot of trust to do that. And God thinks awful highly of us to just hand over all that he made, all that he created to us. He says, I want you to rule over it. I want you to tend it. I want you to care for it. And that's our job, is to care for it and to tend it and to make sure things go well. We do it sometimes better than other times, right? Sometimes we have our ups and sometimes we have our downs. But that's the job that God gave to us. And if you notice in verse 31, the very end of it, and day six is coming to a conclusion, he says, it is very good. Now the rest of the days of creation, one, two, three, four, and five, at the end of it he said, it's good. Look, I made it. I'm happy with it, right? But he saves very good for us. He says, man, I made, I made people. And now this is, this is very good. Now we watch the nightly news and think to ourselves, I'm not sure it's that good, right? I'm not sure we're very good, but God seems to believe that we have the potential to be that, to be very good, to do what he asks us to do. And when we do it, when we're, when we're submissive to him, when we, we take his words and we make them our life, I think it turns out that we actually can be very good. Now, it's only through him that the very is going to come. We can't do it on our own. We continue the story in chapter 2, verse 7. We pick up the story. Now, chapter 1 is a brief kind of flyby, remember, broad strokes, and then chapter 2 is day 6 in detail, right? And so we get to day 6 here, so we're kind of going backwards. He's explaining how, how Adam and Eve, how, the, how men and women came about in, in greater detail here. He says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man become, became excuse me, a living being. Now it's a beautiful picture, right, of God taking what he's already created and he gathers that, that dust, and he forms Adam. He forms the first man out of it. And then he himself, God himself, breathes into him breath of life. And it's almost, it's almost, if you ever watched a video of someone painting or someone sculpting who's really great at it, and you're like, man, that's, that's amazing. It's like that times a million, right, with God. I mean, God is an artist in and of himself, and so he creates and he fashions Adam himself, taking the time and the energy. How did he bring everything else into being? Through words, right? But when it comes to Adam and Eve, Words aren't great enough. Now, God's words are powerful. They bring th- he speaks and things happen. But here, it's a more personal and intimate touch, isn't it? God is, I'm not just going to speak them into existence. I'm going to, I'm, me, myself, I'm going to shape them and form them. And God takes great care in shaping and forming us. And he did it with all of us, not just Adam and Eve. So he breathes into Adam, the breath of life, turns him into a living being, and now God has a job for him. And so we can pick the story up in verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God plants this garden himself, and this garden is designed for Adam to live in it. He takes great care in planting it. And so he plants the garden, and he takes Adam to this garden, right? And says, Adam, this is yours. There's all these trees, probably millions of them. Who knows? 
all these trees in the garden. There's two special trees. Tree of life, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's two trees that are of utmost importance. And since this series is called Between the Trees, I would suggest that you maybe highlight those or underline them or just remember them. But there's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We continue, and it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. One rule. Adam has one rule. You and I live under thousands every day. Right, John? They won't let you drive 85 miles an hour to church from your house. Right? You will get pulled over. You will get a ticket. You have to have your seatbelt on, or you should. If you should have your seatbelt on. If you don't, start wearing it. We live under all kinds of laws every day. Thousands, at least thousands of them that we have. Adam had one. Hey, don't, see that tree over there? Don't eat from that tree. And I see all these other millions of trees. You can eat from those trees, they're fine, but there's that one tree over there I don't want you to eat from. It's like, dude, how hard is that, right? One rule. Don't eat from that tree. Now, you guys know, and we'll look at the story next week. You know the story, how it goes, right? It doesn't go so well for Adam. One rule. The dude's got one rule. Don't eat from this one tree. Give a two-year-old one rule, you know what they'll do the same Adam does. We'll look at that next week. Don't get me started on that. There's two trees. One, one gives life, one brings death. I mean, right? You have the tree of life. It's called the tree of life for a reason. You eat from it and you will live forever. The other one is the knowledge of good and evil. That tree, God tells Adam, you eat from it, you're going to die. Now, Adam doesn't even know what that means, right? He has no idea, what, no conception of death. We all do. It sucks, right? It's not much fun. We, we get to live in it. Thanks a lot, Adam, right? That's not natural. That's why it hurts so bad. Because death was never part of the, God's original plan. That's why it hurts. Beyond anything else in life, that's why it hurts. Whether, whether there's no words to put to it when we experience it. Because God didn't want it. Didn't want it here. Adam brought it. Now, without chasing the rabbit trail, the book of Romans tells us that through one man, next week, right, sin entered the world, and through another man, Jesus, sin was taken care of. So you and I are lucky we live on the side of a different tree, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to give you all my secrets yet. There's one rule in the garden. Don't eat from this tree. That's it. It's not overbearing. It's not all rules. Now, lots of people have always asked me, my youth kids have always asked me, every youth group I've ever been a part of, why does God put the tree in the garden, right? God puts the tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, because if not, it's the robots. God puts the tree in the garden so you and I have free will. We can choose who we want and what we want to do there's no tree in the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then we are literally robots. We have to love God. We have no other choice. But he puts the tree there saying, Adam and Eve, if you want to go your own way, I give you the freedom to do that. 
Now, freedom is a scary thing. Sometimes. As a parent, as a grandparent, as aunt, uncle, freedom is scary, right? Your kids get to this age and you have to give them a little freedom. It's like, whoa, hang on here. No, you shouldn't. No, you're supposed to be a little baby still. Get back here where I can watch you and protect you and keep you. But as a good parent, we give them a little more freedom, right, as they get a little older. If not, they'll stay at home forever, and then that's no fun either, right? So freedom. It's great. We love it. But when you're the one that has to give it, it's kind of frightening sometimes, right? You hand the keys over to the kid the first time. You're praying the entire time that everything goes well. Because they're 16 and their brain's not developed yet. And you're worried, right? You're not, are they going to make a good choice? And that's what we do as parents, as grandparents, aunt, uncles. We worry sometimes when we give that freedom. And think about God. God gives them the freedom knowing the entire time they can choose another way. They can choose to go their own way. And God is the only one at this point that knows the consequences of that. He's the only one who knows what death is. And he knows how severe it is. But yet he gives them the freedom anyways. Say, you choose. If we don't have the ability to choose, we're not fully human. We're not us. Right? That's why our ancestors took a bunch of tea and dumped it in a harbor. Right? Because they wanted freedom. Because freedom is something that that God gives us. Gives us that freedom. To make those choices, good and bad. Sometimes we make good choices, sometimes we make bad ones. But God gives us the freedom to do that. And and that freedom came, first and foremost, in the garden. From the very beginning, God said, you have the freedom to choose me or not to choose me. Now God knocks, right? He's knocking at the door of our hearts always. And he's always wanting us to let him in, but he won't force the issue. Right? God can't take our hearts. We have to give them to him. He can't. He can't take them. He won't. He refuses to do that. We make the choice to give it to him or not. And Adam and Eve were in that same situation that you and I are. The freedom to choose God or to choose their own way. Now most of us in here, I'm guessing at some point in our life, have chose our own way. How'd that turn out for you? It wasn't much fun, I'm guessing. It'd be, I mean, it'll be fun for a little while, right? It's great when you can go your own way for a while and it's fun. It's entertaining. It brings you a little bit of earthly pleasure for a bit until it all catches back up, right? Eventually, you can't run fast enough to outrun it. And it comes. And it rears its ugly head. We've all experienced this. We've all made this same choice. We've all eaten from the tree, even though we weren't in the garden, right? We chose to go our own way and do our own thing. It, it doesn't end up well. We learned from it, but it doesn't always go well. So God has created all these creatures, and Adam sees them all, Right? sees all the creatures that God's made. And the scripture tells us that none of them are good enough for Adam. Right? None of them are a suitable helper for him. He, he needs his other half. So the scripture tells us in Genesis 2.21, says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Puts Adam under anesthesia, Right? knocks him out, takes the rib, and forms again with his own hands. Now, he can, God can speak this in if he wants, but what's he do? He uses his own hands, gets in there, and dirty, and now he crafts Eve from the rib of, of Adam. Now, the rib is significant. Think about it for a second. The rib is it's here. 
Now, God could have chose any part. could have taken any part of Adam, right? He could have taken a toe if he wanted to and made Eve from it. But he doesn't. He chooses the rib. And I find it interesting why he does that. could have taken the head. It would have been kind of gruesome, but he could have taken his head, right? Symbolizing the fact that Eve would be over Adam. could have taken his foot. That would have been a symbol, what? That Eve is underneath or below Adam, but instead chooses a rib because they're partners, because they're equal. So he says, you guys need to be tucked together side by side going through life. And so I'm going I'm to use the rib because you're best, you two will be best when you're side by side, when you're a part of each other, when you're in this together, guys. If you haven't figured it out by now, you might be in a little bit of trouble, but just like every, most things in life, marriage is a team sport. You've got to be playing on the same team. You have to wear the same jersey and have the same goal. Right? You're a team. You're in it together. If not, chaos will ensue. It certainly has throughout all of history. When one tries to one party tries to elevate themselves above the other. It's a team sport. And God says, I'm going to take the rib because you guys need to be together. Or this is not going to work. Now the man sees Eve and goes, whoa, she's way better looking than the rest of those things you brought in front of me, right? <laughs> he says, now this is now bone of my bones, literally, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, the, the term Adam, by the way, guys, is not like, it's not great. It's just the Hebrew for dirt man. So don't name your kids Adam. I mean, you can name your kids Adam if you want to. It's fine, right? But that's literally what it means in Hebrew is just dirt man because it's just pretty much, hey, this is what I made you out of, so this is what I'm going to name you. You're, you're dirt man, so there you go. <laughs> Ladies, girls, you can use that when you're dating somebody, right? And they, or a jerk, you can say, well, you are man, so you're dirt man. So <laughs> come back to, that's all it means, just dirt man. And woman is just from, from dirt man, so it's not exactly great titles that we got there, but it is what it is, right? This scripture, this section ends like this. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The goal of creation, the end of it, God saves the best for last. He's Adam and Eve. He says, guys, you two are going to have to do this together. And I find it interesting that he takes from Adam to make Eve, and then yet says, but the goal of this actually is for you guys to come back as one. You're one flesh. You do this together. And that's the goal. Now this series, again, is entitled Living Between the Trees. And so I hope you picked up on a couple trees that we mentioned. Next week, we're going to look at, this is the fun part of the story, right? Is creation, like things are going well. Next week, we can look at the not-so-fun part, Genesis chapter 3. Everything goes south in a hurry, right? Uh, they, don't, they don't listen all that well, but I think you'll find in it um, a little bit of ourselves in it. We don't always listen. Surprise, I know. I'm just jealous about our nothing box still, Carol. That's why she's bitter. It's a great box. You ladies should try it sometime. It's actually a fantastic way to live. Next week, Genesis chapter 3. It's the fall, right? You've, you've heard it before. But these trees are going to be important throughout. 
then you're going to see how, where these trees come back again throughout the rest of Scripture. And I think it'll be, it'll be good. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come to this place, to gather here, and to worship you through song, through the taking of the cup and the bread, through the giving of, of our resources and, and through your word. And your word has always and will always bring great life to us, God, and we're thankful for it. Father, help us as we study, as we, as we wrestle with your story, and, and, and that the Bible is, in fact, your story of how much you love us, and, and the length in which you'll go to show us how much you love us. And so, Father, we see, we see that love here displayed in Genesis 1 and 2, that you created us with great care, that you took your time when you fashioned our first parents, Adam and Eve. You do the same with us. So God, for anybody who struggles or who is struggling with their own self-worth, their own value, Father, we come back to, this, to, the, to your word and we realize that, that you have placed a great value in each and every one of us because you created us in your image and we're it. As people, we are the only thing you've created in your image. So Father, we're thankful that you, you show us how much we're worth right from the beginning of your story, that we have great value in you. Father, help us as we go about our our everyday life, to remember how much you love us and the value you, you placed on us and that you created us with value and that you rescued us and you redeemed us with great value. That you loved us so much you sent your son, your only son, to leave the comforts of heaven to come to this earth for us. And that you love us so much that you take no greater pleasure in the fact that you have offered us life forever with you. So Father, please help us as we go through this series and through our life Help us to understand and try to comprehend your great love for us. And Father, it is, it is beyond our comprehension. We know we want to experience it more and more. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. And we, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your compassion, which you rain down on us constantly. We pray all this in the powerful and holy name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. amen.